Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 29th of May 2020. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, <clears throat> what's the real threat? Anglo-American war drive or Belt and Road infrastructure? And economic crisis fires up support for national banking. Now, first, a couple of announcements before we get into the show proper. Uh, first of all, uh, many of you may still watch this program on community television, but that has been scheduled to finish completely at the end of June. Now, the good people at Community TV, however, are running a campaign, a uh, last-ditch effort to try to save it, and they uh, would like your participation if you're able to. You can uh, access info and promote the cause with the hashtag keep local TV on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to change.org to sign a petition, which just go to change.org and search for community broadcasters and it will come up. Uh, and the other thing is that on the first, starting the 1st of June, they will have a week of action where they're asking people to contact their MPs. And that being said, if you uh, are not already and you do have access to the internet, when, you know, if community TV goes, you can still watch this show on YouTube uh, so make sure that you subscribe and hit the notification button to um, get notified of new shows. It's a very good cause, Elisa. The community television, which used to be in all the capital cities and now it's only left in a few, um, it would have gone offline a couple of years ago except for the public protesting a bit, plus the politicians not really making up their mind. They still haven't found someone to sell it to, so there's no good reason to take it offline. Take the, when I say sell it to, take, sell the bandwidth to. Um, so, and it gives organisations like us a forum to actually get on free-to-air TV that otherwise you mm. wouldn't have, not just us, other people as well. It's been a great, it's been a great help for the campaigns that we've waged and um, it's a great service to the public, something that's outside of the commercial control of the, of the, the big channels. So get behind it and help as much as you can to keep it going. Now, further to our announcement last week on the breakthrough in the <coughs> cash ban, uh, you have a couple of things to add to have, that, Robert. I have, I have, I have an announcement. So, no, I, I just want to. There's been some confusion about what the real status is. So, I just want to, I just want to make a comment about that to, to try and clarify that uh, confusion, um, because I have to express a mild disagreement with um, my friend John Adams on this question. Um, uh, John put up, did a recording with Martin North about this where he expressed uh, real reservations about whether it actually, we'd actually uh, defeated the cash ban or not. Um, our position is we are more cautiously optimistic, but we, we are definitely more optimistic. And the reason why is because I, I, I know what the sources have been saying um, and you know there's, there's, there's definite opinions being expressed in Parliament that this is going nowhere. Now John's opinion is you can't trust any of that and of course far be it from me to tell you to trust politicians, That's I certainly accept that part. But I also know how much we accomplished with the campaigns that we ran. And when I say we, I'm talking about the very broad collective right around Australia. The Citizens Party had a role in that but just a partial role 
right? We, we made it a big focus, but it was a, a very broad-based effort, and I gave credit to John and Martin and others last week. I mean, it was very broad, there was, and especially on YouTube, right? A lot of YouTube, the YouTube community came in. You had, um, you had the Bitcoin community come in on it, and they brought a whole heap of firepower there, Alex Saunders and Nuggets News and, and, and different people, Adam Stokes, uh, was one, and they would do regular updates on their shows and, and encourage people to get involved in the campaign. Heiser says in Queensland um, did regular updates on the shows, and, and we spread the word out as, as much as possible. Um, some of this went international as well, but it got the message out. And it wasn't just you know terrifying people was going to happen. It was here's what you can do, and that was powerful, right? That effort was powerful, and we saw that in the way politicians started to respond. Um, you know, where there was an immediate acknowledgement, man, we're getting bombarded on this issue. We saw that in the way they had that great hearing in Parliament on the 5th of December, right, where um, Senator Alex Gallagher from the Labor Party and Rex Patrick from Centre Alliance did such a good job really putting the asset on the government. And we saw that in the final report of the, of the uh, inquiry, which wasn't perfect, but it was the Liberal members of that committee, or the government members of that committee, who put in all these demands for changes that frankly made it unworkable. So these, all these things together, um, especially the fact that we made ourselves the factor, right? The politicians suddenly saw the barbarians at the gate with pitchforks and torches, right? And that is still a factor in their mind, and that's why we're cautiously optimistic. So of course we will absolutely monitor this. Um, very closely. We're watching it like a hawk. There's, they didn't succeed in banning cash under the coronavirus panic, but there is evidence now that big companies, I, I, was, I was told Nando's, for instance, the chicken um, uh, chain, uh, they're, they're going ahead with the policy of no cash. So that might be a way they try and um, you know, socially engineer this sort of outcome. But for politicians who have to actually vote on this as a policy, we well and truly gave them the rounds of the kitchen and they, they know that. And that's why we're cautiously optimistic. We still are. So, yes, I have a mild disagreement with John on this. Be happy. Be, be really um, happy with the effort that you put in and absolutely expect that victories are possible, mm-hmm. right? So ours is a quali- we're declaring a qualified victory and we still are. And our campaign for a national bank, which we'll talk about a bit later in the show, is a new flank on really the same objective of getting the financial reform that we need. Um, So let's get to the first topic. What's the real threat? Anglo-American war drive or belt and road infrastructure? Now, of course, the coronavirus pandemic has raised the debate that countries like Australia and all over the world need to have secure supply chains and not be necessarily completely dependent on any other single country. Of course, China is the one that has been raised and the Citizens Party has, you know, for a long, for decades, said that Australia needs to have its own manufacturing, we need to have our own industry and not be so dependent on China. And that absolutely stands. However, while that is the non-stop topic of discussion, another dependency is quietly expanding at a rapid rate, and that is our dependency on the Anglo-American or our dangerous Anglo-American empires, as Malcolm, former Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser would refer to, allies. Uh, The... We've seen this recently with, we discussed it in previous weeks, show the push for a Magnitsky Act, which would use human rights to sanction other countries. Which uh, we're expected to pass here in Australia. and looks like we've, we've participated in the inquiry and looks like the fix is in to make sure we do. So we'll be one of those countries going around weaponising human rights absolutely hypocritically. 
as we said in a press release earlier this week. Yep, we've also seen the uh, US ambas Ambassador Arthur Culverhouse boasting recently of the unprecedented level of integration between Australia and the US. People should watch, get on YouTube and watch the Sky News series called The Alliance, Elisa. It's all up on YouTube. Just how much the integration between America and the United States is. Malcolm Fraser was saying, look, we're being treated like the 51st state, and we mm -hmm. are. And it's really ironic that the people championing this talk, talk about Australian sovereignty. We are losing it big time. Yeah, and there's things like, for instance, we'll put up an article there where now the US is saying Australia's got to provide us all the rare earth minerals we need for our US military build-up if we're not going to get it from China. You've got a Brian Tui article in the Sydney Morning Herald on the 25th um, saying, you know, the support that we give to America for war is just considered to be automatic. Uh, we can't even use our complex weapons systems without US approval. We're not trained to use them and deploy them. They have to be sent to the US for repair and we're denied access to the source codes for the computer systems that run them. If that were China, you know, giving us those kind of demands, um, it would be subject yep. of massive um, crit criticism. Now, there were also signs that we mentioned last week where certain experts such as former Pentagon advisor Jason Israel are indicating the US may even be prepared to ask Australia to host its nukes on our territory. Now, you wrote an article this week, uh, Robert, about the real foreign interference, which comes in the form of, you know, ASIO, which was set up as a subset of Britain's MI5. The Whitlam dismissal was another factor. The Australian-American leadership dialogue, which Keating, you know, once famously said it was like people went off and drank the Kool-Aid and came back and they were completely on board whatever, with whatever the US wanted. Bowing and scraping to the American outlook, yep. Yep, you've got ASPE, which is the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, determining our foreign policy with funding. It's funding from big weapons manufacturers like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and the US State Department. Um, you've got the Five Eyes, which have just dictated a whole bunch of new um, police state laws, a new ASIO law that's been put up in the parliament and a new telecommunications amendment. And you've got the Henry Jackson Society also, which you've also written about. Lisa, this people should get our publication, the alert service, and read this article, right? Call in and get a copy of it. But let's, let's play a video now from 2014 where Malcolm Fraser addressed this in a speech he gave launching his book, Dangerous Allies. Where, as a former Prime Minister of a certain generation with a certain outlook that is now completely changed, just listen to what he had to say about where Australia's gone in this direction. Instead of exercising a greater degree of strategic independence, after 1991, we have over the last 25 years become more closely enmeshed in the American military machine than ever before. I assert that our constitutional independence will not protect us if America goes to war in the Pacific. When we have a powerful three-service task force which can deploy power anywhere throughout the region, we are inevitably complicit in whatever it does. We cannot say we are not involved. We cannot say we were not asked. We cannot say we did not approve. We house it. We know it is going to be used at some point or that it could be used and we won't be told beforehand. When President Obama speaks from the Australian Parliament as though it were a state of the Union and not an independent country, it is driving in the same direction. Some Americans believe that Australia is one of those rare allies, one of the best, that will do what they want, when and where they want. 
I don't want to be that sort of ally. Elisa, the point Mr Fraser was making that is Australia is not a sovereign country, right? And so we are, we are having all this kerfuffle about China attacking our sovereignty. No, it's not. It's attacking a version of Australia that is defining its, its interests as American imperial interests. And, and it always has because before the Americans it was the British and the British are still in the mix anyway. That's the problem and that's what we've got to change. We've got to take a quick break but we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. So we're discussing what the greater danger is, our Anglo-American alliance and the current drive for war or Belt and Road infrastructure projects. Now there's of course been well, at least it's in the media for one thing because the Belt and Road has been going on for since 2013. Australia's um, been engaged with it for a couple of years, at least through Victoria and other business-to-business -business arrangements for at least a couple of years. Um, and it hasn't been in the press at all, but it is being <laughs> attacked in the press now. Uh, but Because Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State of the United States, told us it's dangerous. And he jumps and we say how high... Right, and suddenly there's this blizzard of assault on Dan Andrews as a traitor, a commie traitor. And don't put us in the position of having to defend Dan Andrews, but we will if you people are going to be McCarthy or idiots. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's the bottom line. If you don't take a pompous fool like um, Pompeo, who wants to, who's taken advantage of the coronavirus to, to to try and get regime change going in Iran, right, and think he's some kind of saint who could say, "Oh, that's a threat to us." Oh, let's have let's have hysteria on cue, right? Mm. No, no, no. And that's why we're going to say this. Yes, and he and others have shown that they know absolutely nothing about it, which is why we wanted to talk a bit about it on the show. Uh, Pompeo talked about cutting off communications via Five Eyes <laughs> if it had something to do with telecommunications or Huawei, etc., which of course it didn't. Um, and that was even stated later by the mm. US ambassador. And everyone should read the agreement, Elisa. It's mm. a mild piece of nothing. It's motherhood statements, it, right? It, I mean, there's, there's content yeah. in there, but the, the, the control, there's no control over Victoria or anything in no, that agreement. No, the purpose of the Memorandum of Understanding is to jointly promote the Belt and Road um, project, which is what, as everyone knows, China is promoting, and I'll talk a bit more about that too. So it's a non-binding framework. Uh, basically, so far, is that it specifies practical cooperation in infrastructure between Australia and China in both countries and in third nations. Also cooperation in research, in manufacturing, biotechnology, agricultural technology, new medicines, incubator projects. These are all the sorts of things we've been talking about on previous shows must be fostered but which the Australian government is not doing. So at least Victoria is taking that seriously and has been putting uh, various assistant measure, assistance measures towards manufacturing and being cutting edge. And other pro aspects of it include Victorian companies that are now participating in providing aged care in China, training GPs in Chinese provinces, developing anti-smog technologies. So there's that kind of uh, back and forth going on. The trade between Victoria and China has doubled in two years, nearly doubled in two years, I should say. I mean, it's possible to have this kind of trade and cooperation and also become less dependent on China, paradoxically. 
And you can look at what a lot of the leaders of countries around the world have had to say, African countries in particular, about what China has brought to the table. Uh, in five years, and we'll put up some pictures in the background, but Chinese Belt and Road nation trade is up 13%. There's 60 new economic zones and corridors, 245,000 local jobs in those corridors. In Asia, you've got various, there's a lot of development, of course, in China, but then outside of that, you have uh, the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge, for instance, one of the biggest bay areas which is developing for a, an economic zone. You've got high speed rail and dams in Southeast Asia being built, planned rail links into even North Korea to open that up and into Russia, the Chinese Pakistan Economic Corridor. There are 52 new freight routes between China and Europe which are opening up um, ports and trade routes, including even, for instance, the Duisburg port, which is the largest inland port in Europe, um, even though Germany doesn't support the Belt and Road, but this is causing a thriving and development of industry. In Africa, you've got new major bridges and rail links that have been built in Mozambique, Ethiopia, Kenya and Congo. Uh, the Transaqua, Trans which is a major water project to green the inland of Africa, is planned between Italy and China as a joint project. This is all great stuff. In South America, you've got new canals, expansion of existing canals, planned rails and science cities. Uh, and as part of this, the broader BRICS arrangement, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China and uh, South Africa, are also pushing for a new financial architecture. And I'll just say on that front um, that, you know, you have all this talk about strings attached, as Pompeo also debt, said, about debt Chinese diplomacy. loans. Debt trap diplomacy. Debt trap diplomacy. And that we've disproved it. Go to our website, do some searches, do a modicum of research of your own and you'll see that this is not the case. In fact, a 20, 2017 College of William and Mary study... It's an American university. Yeah, actually showed that um, the Belt and Road uh, loans that are replacing uh, a lot of the Western loans are, quote-unquote, interfering with the strings that are attached to the Western and American and other yeah. loans because they use their loans with plenty of strings attached, including democratising countries... Um, so, you know, that's why they have a particular umbrage to it. And Elisa, there was a, 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 some Sri Lankan academics, one of whom was in, here in Melbourne, did a study of the Sri Lankan port to say, no, it's not Sri Lanka, it's not the debt attached to that port that's got Sri Lanka into trouble, it's the debt it has to Western countries. And one last thing, the Belt and Road, China invited every country in the world to participate in, including the United States, whereas the United States comes up with ideas like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and excludes China. China's inclusive in this, and if America wanted didn't, if America wanted to, it could be in part of it and helping shape those projects. Mm. Instead, it wants to say that kind of development is a threat to the way we run the world. We're going to paint it as a threat, and it's not. It's absolutely not. It's infrastructure that uplifts living standards. Don't get frightened by these idiots into, into believing, buying into McCarthyite BS about your own country. We have to take another break, but we're going to talk next about national banking, which is a part of the, the same overall shift that's taking place here. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing economic crisis fires up support for national banking. So we're getting some very exciting moves to discuss um, the prospect of Australia creating a bank to fund the development of, you know, our nation. Uh, and this is happening around the world, actually. It's being invoked by the crisis. Of course, um, the economic and the financial crisis that we're in right now 
preceded the coronavirus pandemic, absolutely, well and truly, and we've been saying it um, forever. But uh, the combination of events has really brought things to a crunch point where we've had to re-look at decades of policy and it's all now up for grabs. So national banking has become a topic of discussion in the United States, for instance, where there's a revival of discussion about Alexander Hamilton, the first Treasury Secretary of the United States. Including among Republicans, Elisa. So there's an outfit called American Compass. Now there's one bad side of it, and it's coming into Australia as well, which is some of these people really buy into this anti-China, oh, China's a threat, we've got to go to war, so we have to decouple from China. And we're saying, look, we can bring back manufacturing without going to a world war, please. So, but at least in looking at bringing back manufacturing, they're going to, when did this work? And this goes back to Hamilton's, Alexander Hamilton's ideas, etc. Um, in Australia, we've put up, and, and we'll, we've, we'd, we definitely have to win this argument about, can you bring back manufacturing in Australia without a world war? Because um, frankly, right now, most of our manufacturers are involved in American military um, weapons manufacturing, right? Let's have, let's have a more positive world, please. And that can be done if we have a national bank. And so there's growing support for our proposal to get a national development bank going. And we want to play a clip now from an interview that was done yesterday by Martin North with a new senator from Queensland, who's a liberal of all things, Senator Gerard Rennie. And he is now calling for a national bank. We'll just play this little clip now. Um, and if we look through history, I mean, Hamilton started the National Bank in the late 1700s uh, to power the US, the, the fledging US um, nation. Macquarie used it with the holy dollar. He, you know, basically used currency to generate infrastructure. And, and an example, look at China. I mean, 60 years ago, these guys were coming out of the Cultural Revolution and were really struggling. Now, somehow in 50 years, they've managed to bring almost a billion people out of poverty. They now are a credit debtor nation to the US. Um, they build high-speed rail, dams and everything like that. They have based their economy, first and foremost, on infrastructure, which I would call the backbone of the economy. And they've been very clever about it, as, as was Lachlan Macquarie, as was Hamilton, you know, as was Roosevelt with the New Deal. They've used the country's currency to fund infrastructure. And, you know, so I'm just going to jump a little bit onto monetary policy here because to get infrastructure built, we need to finance that. Um, infrastructure. Now, one of the things that's been choking infrastructure development in the last, well, I'm not sure when these rules started to come in, but there's these benchmark laws that the bureaucracy has introduced whereby they have to, infrastructure has to achieve a desired rate of return within 30 years. Now, if we're going to go out into the markets and borrow money at 4 or 5%, I know it's a bit lower now, um, but we've got to borrow money at 4 or 5%. And you've got to build build the dam. So it takes ten years to build a dam, it, possibly ten or fifteen years with all the green tape we have now. Um, you are never going to achieve a rate of return in the first thirty years of a dam, for example, right? So therefore, every sort of infrastructure project is just about kibosh now because there's this idea it's got to achieve uh, a benchmark rate of return. So also in this interview, he went on to say, I don't see why we can't have a national bank to fund infrastructure. I'm thinking, hallelujah, absolutely. And I know there is growing support in Parliament across the board, but he's unusual because he's a member of a major party who's come out and is now at odds with his own party over that. But privately, people inside his own party, Labor, would also be supporting that. They're just not as courageous as him. Um, now... Uh, Elisa, I, have, I want to foreshadow, in a few days we're going to put up a video, uh, an interview I did with Dr Peter Brain, who's an economist here in Victoria, 
and it's all about him explaining how a national bank would be so important to bring back manufacturing in Australia, and he's thought about this a lot. He has had a long career look, fighting for industry in this country. Um, so make sure you tune into that on, on um, probably about Wednesday on, on YouTube. Um, but with this, this is, a, this is an argument we're starting to win because for two reasons. One is all the promises of neoliberalism when they privatised everything have proven to be false. It didn't make the economy better. It made it much, much worse. And the economic crisis now is saying, look, we've got to do something differently. And people are getting behind this proposal. So fight with us for this as well as everything else we've been doing. Yeah, go to our website for more info. Call in for a copy of our alert service so that you can educate yourself. And tune in for more next week. Mm -hmm.